Professor Baina Bello is a Vauduvi Afro-descendant historian, educator, writer, and humanitarian. With over 50 years of wisdom and extensive research, Professor Bello specializes in Aitian our story, education, and linguistics. She is the founder and the international responsible of Fondation Marie Claire Urus Felicite Bonheur des Salines, popularly known as Fondation Felicite, and author of Shiro's of the Haitian Revolution. Professor Bello is based in Haiti and serves as advisor to key eldership councils. Professor Bayana Bello, welcome to One Planet Podcast in the Creative Process. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, yes, it is our pleasure to speak to you because you are such uh, an example, an empowering example of what one can do, not just to... Um, learn for learning's sake, but to share it with others. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey and what would you like as a young girl? Did you realize that this would be your mission? Um, no, I did not know this would be my mission, that's for sure. But I know I wasn't uh, following whatever it is that was established. And um, so in my day, in IT, that meant a lot of spanking. And it's, it's, go into that because I'm intrigued. Um, well, that's, you know, it meant, you know, I knew you can't do this, but that's what I want to do. So I would do it. And my mother or my grandmother or my aunt or whoever, you know, said, we told you no and punishment will come. But, and I knew it, but it didn't matter that was what I wanted to do, that much I knew. Uh, for example, I, I was teaching. My grandmother tells me I would teach shoes. If I had no dolls, I would teach the shoes. If I had, if after being maybe spanked so many times for taking everybody's shoes and creating a school, then I would teach uh, stones and sticks. I would line it up, you know, create my classroom and start teaching with stones and sticks as my students. Well, that's, that's a great beginning. I can imagine um, you must have been a very characterful teacher, even from the beginning, teaching even your parents. And is this something that is in your family? I feel it's in very much in the Asian character about being the first and being bold and being an example. Uh, yeah, I would say the country has that kind of spirit, that spirit of... Um, being one, which is why I usually write IT starting with A, A-Y-I-T-I, which is the Arawak spelling of the name of the country, because that, that island has carried that name for over 4,000 years prior to your Christian invasion, slavery, and colonization. So um, yes, IT does have that spirit of oneness and daring and starting and initiating. Um, even uh, we have observed that uh, for things like earthquakes or any kind of um, natural forceful expression of nature, forceful expression of nature, if one would follow up one time, I would uh, write them down. Okay, so there's a problem, there's an earthquake in Haiti. And next, there's an earthquake in Colombia, there's an earthquake in Italy, there's an earthquake. In 2010, we recorded something like, I don't know how many earthquakes uh, around the world from the point where IET had an earthquake. I mean, major earthquakes, okay? There are little earthquakes all the time, but major ones. Uh, for example, two weeks after us, Chile had a 9.3 for the first time. So you, it really starts with you, the quaking starts there, and there are these reverberations, and we've seen how the example of independence, which we know uh, by the, when this is uh, broadcast, it'll be close to your Independence Day, uh, and how uh, AT has been such an example uh, for others in the region and beyond. And tomorrow is uh, Vatia. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. You have some projects planned for tomorrow. Um. 
tomorrow is um, Vertier, the, the final battle of the revolution. Um, and that's uh, November 18. That's the final battle. And that's the battle in Haiti, there again. Uh, had to, during the years of fighting for independence, we fought the Spaniards and won. We fought against the British and won, because the British tried to take it over. And in fact, in Haiti, the British experienced their biggest loss in any battles in America. 30,000 men on the ground. So, uh, and then on November 18, we fought the French and won. And the French had to sign and say that they lost the war, not the battle. And uh, so that's the beginning of the beginning for us. After the Battle of Vertier, then the Declaration of Independence would come on January 1st, 1804, the Universal Declaration, because we did have the um, National Declaration of Independence on November 29. And then on, November, on January 1st, we had the Universal Declaration of Independence. And speaking of this um, courage and, uh, you know, I, in IT, the, it this is a story not just of men. You often speak of our story and you've written Shiro's. Uh, I'm just amazed to learn about the the way women, even children, have, were involved in, in battles. And this tradition is kind of um, in, inspiring or kind of breathtaking. Well, actually... Yes, it's true. I see lots of women. In fact, to a large degree, more women were involved in the revolution, in the war, in the fighting for the nation uh, for the very simple reason that women had more opportunities. Uh, after a certain time, nobody, we became invisible. You know, once you were in your 60s, you're missing a few front teeth. In fact, some of the women used to take a stone and break up their front teeth so that they wouldn't be noticed anymore. You know, that's just an old lady with no front teeth, okay? She goes about her business. Nobody looks at her. She can't do nothing. And those were the, fighting, the fighters, the greatest fighters of our revolution. Uh, Sil Fatima, who organized uh, the biggest Congress within slavery, while the law says, Anytime three of us are assembled without permission, then we will all be hung. Well, she organized to have a Congress across the island in 12 different spots the same night. And that's when we decided full-fledged war is the only way to become free. So, and this woman was uh, 70, over 70 when she organized this. Um, woman like uh, Marie Chan is a woman who had a, a troop of only females. She did not have any men at all. So everything had to be done by women in her troop. No, no males whatsoever. And she not only was a fearful fighter, but she was also a great spy. She would collect data and information throughout the world she had over 2,000 spies across the world working for her to keep us informed and keep our generals on their toes. That's amazing. Well, that's, a th that's also the power, I think, of uh, women. You know, we do like to listen, and that's, uh, so it must serve her well. And tell us about, of course, you had the, the Fondation Felicité or Fondation Marie-Claire Rose Felicité Bonheur de Céline. Uh, tell us about the foundation and also about uh, Marie-Claire. All right. Um, Marie-Claire was Félicité Bonheur Dessaline, who later became Des you know, Dessaline after marrying him. <clears throat> but Marie-Claire was Félicité Bonheur is the way she would always write her name. And then she would put under it a uh, spouse of Jean-Jacques Dessaline. Uh, when she was about to go, she, she called for somebody to, um, to make her coffin. And when they brought the coffin back to her, she wrote her name on the coffin, Marie-Claire Heureuse Félicité Bonheur, widow of Jean-Jacques Dessaline. 
So throughout her life, she just kept her own name. <clears throat> and this is a woman who lived by justice, education, and health. Those are her only three, only three subjects. <clears throat> and this is a woman who rose from being a, a captive in the Euro Christian slavery system, became a free woman, became an educator, a healer, a fighter for justice, and rose to become the first First Lady of Haiti, an empress when we created the empire in October 8, 1804. She lived to be 110 years. Mia, I'd like to ask you a question. Oh, where, yes. where are your family from? Uh, well, I am here in Paris, and I was born in America, and we're we're from all different parts <laughs> where I'm mixed Eurasian. I am Asian, Chinese, um, Irish, but uh, I have a bit of German, so it's a lot. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, that means I'm a child of... No, no Vietnamese there? Oh, in France, but no, I'm not Vietnamese. And no, no, I'm talking about you. Okay, yeah. because I pick up the energy of the tiger woman in Vietnam as I speak to you. That's interesting. I would love to be tiger. I'm a dragon. I'm a great fighting woman. Oh, and Yesenia is joining. She is a big fan and, and so much admires your work and the foundation. Hello, Professor Bello. I am a student currently learning Haitian Creole and um, learning about your work and Shiro's was really inspiring. And to know that the Haitian Revolution was actually fought by mostly women um, was very, very powerful. So my question for you is that as we are in the time of Gede, um, how do you think we should be honoring our Zanse and loved ones who have passed? All right. The first thing I believe is that we should not stay enslaved in the Euro-Christian concept that the deads are here and the living are here. They live in us, first of all. So the first way we can honor them is by uh, assuming their presence in us, as well as the memories of what they left, that they did in their lives, okay? So they're present in us. My grandmother is right here as I speak to you. My grandmother, my mother, my great aunts, my great grand uncle, whom I learned to, I lived with and lived to be 126 years old. Uh, so all these people are present. What do you, why do you do DNA testing? Why uh, you get all this information about them now, but we've always known that. So as we live our daily life, we simply do things that either they left for us or things that make us remember them, okay? Uh, for example, my mother's father was a lawyer, a very famous lawyer. And um, one of the things I do is if I have anything dealing with law, I will definitely get my grandfather a hat that looks like his hat. So he knows every day he's with me and he is key in everything I have to do. I have to think what I have to in dealing with, with the law. So that kind of presence. Now, in as far as Gede is concerned with the laws, in fact, Gede is not the law of death, but the law that stands at the crossroad of life and death. Gede knows life better than any of us, and Gede knows the unliving world or unmaterial world better than all of us. Okay? So Gede's colors are uh, purple, black, uh, royal blue, and white. So one of the things that we do during Gede's season is to wear Gede's colors consciously. And so it's interesting, The I love this this point of view, I feel it very strongly. We are so connected to our ancestors, even if we don't know those ancestors. It's interesting too, because you have people say in uh, America who have, have lost touch with their um, 
ancestors in Africa, but the connection is so strong. And when you come back, uh, so we're, we're always in communication with them, even if we don't know how to decipher and how you tap into that is powerful. Um, in terms of your own education, which is one of you know book learning, but also how does uh, intuition tap into your creative process and your leadership and just so, so many things? Well, um, I would say a large part of my education was taken care of by those I don't see and by many of those I don't know. Uh, it took me a while to understand it, but that's what I come to understand about my life. For example, my mother may have decided that she's gonna send me to uh, school B and uh, she's doing everything. She, she's willing to kill herself to get me into that school. And in the end, it doesn't work. And then some other school she had no idea about who might be even better than B, uh, something turns up and that's where I go. And so many more opportunities come. And so today my understanding is that yes, mom was doing thinking. She was not dealing with intuition when it comes to going, putting her children into this or that school. But the ancestors were there and they guided things and made what was best for us happened rather than what mom thought would be the best thing. So, and I have experienced the same thing with my own children, my own life, is that after a while, I just stop all that thinking. I realize that's not it. Uh, a big problem arises, Baina goes to sleep and hope for either a dream or this. Or anyway, when I wake up, I will know which way to go but I'm not going to sit here and fret and I'm not going to worry. And how am I going to, nah, that does not help at all. We're also honoring um, the liber liberator of IT, um, Jean Jacques de Sali, um, and who has now lived 263 earth um, strong years. So um, how do you think his you presence- <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Yeah, 263. Um, Earth strong years. Thank you. <laughs> of course. Um, how do you think his presence lives on? Well, his presence is, well, he is, we are all his children. So he is everywhere in each one of us. Of course, had we had the proper education, then it would be more evident. But because the, the, what is called education is in fact conditioning. See, it's like um, if we take Dessalines as an example, Dessalines' aunt, Tante Toya, raised him, started training him knowing that this is a military born child. So at the time he was four or five, she started training him how to use a pocket knife. And every night she would teach him about Africa, you know, even though he was born in Haiti, teach him about great kings, teach him about what is justice, how to defend people, how to, how to have a collective view and defend collective interests, et cetera, et cetera. So he rose to be the person we know. But in our case today, any child that is, let's say, highly Dessaline, Dessalinian, in his behavior will be punished all the time, would be kicked out of school because the structures that exist are in opposition to who we are. We have schools that want to make us what we are not. We have schools that want to undo the natural Asian culture in us. So, you have this very confused situation where the strength of Dessaline is there, but the purpose and the methodologies are not. 
And how it's very interesting because we're an educational initiative, so it's something we think about every day. Um, you know, how can we build better schools? What's wrong with these structures and systems? Um, how can we also, uh, you know, we teach law, but what about earth law? What about respect for that? And who speaks up for the land and the animals and the natural world? There is a song, a Gede song. Um, Mama o baba o mete timunyo lekol supa mete o lekol na fe police areto. So the song says, put the children to school. Parents, put your children in school. If you don't put them in school, we're gonna have the police arrest you. Now this is a a gede song. We sing it and dance it all the time in this season, etc. But a large percentage of our children don't go to school. And those who do go to school, don't go to school because they go to a place where they're asked to repeat like parakeets. Everything is about reciting, no thinking, no connect the dots. I believe Vodou gives us the, 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 the principles, the basic fundamental principles of what Aishan school should look like. Number one, we should never be disconnected from nature. No school should be without a garden, without a, a tea garden, without a vegetable garden or whatever, whatever, whatever. Children should always, even in fact, in our very first constitution, the first constitution, uh, the uh, uh, imperial constitution of 1805, there's an article that says, Every Aishan must possess a mechanic uh, training. We must know how to do things with our hands. You know, thinking and typewriters and whatever is not education. So whether it's working the land, whether it's repairing plumbery or electricity or whatever, but you must use your hands. It keeps you balanced. It, it takes away from me thinking, because, yeah, I'm buying bello, I sit on the computer, and I ta-ta-ta, and the person who cleans the house is, not, is nobody. No. If I am a person who makes it my duty to use my hands regularly, I will appreciate all walks of life. Yeah, and it's not just, they're not divided to, I mean, some traditions, they divide them. The Western traditions is very divided, the logic and the rationale with the what's the bodily. But actually being in your body, playing, they've just so many studies, even playing, that's why the garden that you said, it's important to have that. It actually helps you think better too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It helps you to know. See, doing anything with your hands, when you tell me, oh, there are seven colors in the blah, 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 uh, you know, whatever it is that we recite by heart. And then when I go in the garden and I see, oh, this is a green leaf, this is amoise, this is basil, this is uh, lemongrass. They're all green, but they're not the same green. So this business of seven colors, hey, come on. Even greens, there are more, more than seven greens. So I will not take you as literally the, 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 the theories that you give me. My, the fact of being close to nature about shapes, about numbers, about, it just opens up world. Walking bare feet on the soil, you learn a lot from the soil. So these are all the things that are lacking. We're trying to create a school that we can, you know, we cannot make those universities like they are in, in colonized structures who had centuries of slavery to build their wealth. We are not in the same position and cannot copy what they're doing. But that's what they are trying to impose. Oh, you got to do it. Your university has to have this. Listen, if we get into the nitty gritty as to how Yale got all the acres of land that it has. It's not the best model. 
Exactly. And the, the universities are waking up to it. And it's it's nice to see that some or many are divesting, but it's it's interesting. It's not a history that we were told. And I think that also those universities are uh, facing challenges because the future of education is like going back to the, there's a wisdom and there you have to be in touch with the land. And it really, we have to be educating for the future and not everyone is going to be in STEM or not everyone's going to be a theorist or whatever. There's not, you have to educate for people for the kind of jobs there are. And we, and that's, you know, physical jobs. That's, that's, you know, so there's so many things. So I think that it's really important vocational education and the many facets of people there are. Um, yeah, we need people to build as, as well as to theorize. Um, what we have, the model that is inscribed in Verdun is not for me to tell you where you should go if you should be a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer. It's for me to help you know who you are. And once you rise into this better self that is sleeping in you, once you awaken that self, you will be clear as to what is your way. And no matter what I said, what your mother, your husband, and the other ones say, you will go your way. And your way will be the right way for you and will bring you success and there is no success without joy exactly we have we have to be happy and not have it it's just a job it's part like i think we can do so much when we feel fulfilled in some ways then what we're doing is like how we look after our family it's not it's not work it's play that's right that's right and that's why there's so much singing and dancing in voodoo everything we do has a song and dance in it Teaching has to be with singing and dancing. There is no real teaching for Haitian people without a song and dance. Now what? And where we would decide how we're going to do so that our children and our grandchildren do not suffer the miseries of slavery. That's a Congress. That is a political decision that they were looking for. And this woman took four years to work it out, to sneak out at night, talk to Mia. Mia said, well, you crazy? Don't talk about, but I have no problem with slavery. Talk to a senior. Senior said, well, I don't know, but you know, don't you get me in trouble. Talk to Iweola. I'll think about it. Talk to Baina. Each one, and every time she just keep going back, going back, until she had a certain number of people willing to take a chance and the risk was high high risk because if we're caught there is no ifs and buts about it it's death if we're lucky professor fellow preaches that one of the lessons that Vodou teaches is to know yourself because without self it can be a hard and arduous path to walk in life as a child Baina always went against the grain, and it was in her youth that she found her passion for teaching and educating. I was very inspired to learn that in the Haitian Revolution, it was the women who played an enormous role in the overtaking of Euro-Christian colonizers. Their tactical measures and political congress led the way for their children to succumb the wrath of slavery. She also teaches us that when it comes to educating our children in schools, we must begin from the ground up. There must always be a connection between nature and scholarship. Otherwise, there is a divide in our relationship to the earth and all its living beings. We are not separate from the earth, and it is because we have separated ourselves that we are living in such environmental conditions. Among other things, she shares with us the analogy of the ant and the elephant, which teaches us that the size and technology that one possesses is not stronger than the willpower of one who wishes to be free and overcome oppression. The connection between the mind, body, spirit, and earth can help you distinguish yourself in this world. Whatever injustices you are currently fighting can only be achieved once you know self 
as this is your greatest weapon in life. A gun, cannon, or machine is not stronger than you, for it does not feel. Know yourself, and only then will you know the wonders of all this world. You, along with those like-minded individuals, have the power to change the wrongs in this world, as the Haitian Revolution teaches us. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much for that analogy and for um, correcting me on Wakaiman um, and really um, allowing us to, to process that this was a um, law debate that was going on and it was a congressional way of saying, okay, let's do this. And the fact that it was four years prior that this was, uh, everything was set up in motion. So thank you so much for educating me on that. Um, also, um, the Haitian Revolution became um, a way for Latin American and Caribbean countries to begin to independentize themselves. Um, why do you think in school we tend to not include Haiti, or and we we tend to just um, associate it with something that that was not part of of this wave? Well, it's not what I think; it's what I have observed. Okay, there is. All, con all those who create conditioning, who wants to dominate, have to create the narrative. Otherwise, the domination won't work. So the, the, the conditioning that so-called South America is under is the erasing of the contributions of Blacks in their historical narrative. Uh, for example, the worst one in, uh, in that region is Argentina, who at the time of independence had 30, over 30% 30 Blacks and put down a real Nazi plan and erase more than 27% of the Black population right here in the face of everybody. And we are so much under the conditioning that you will find many Blacks across the world rooting for Argentina in football or this, that, or the other. We don't connect the dots. We don't have the right information. The narrative turns things upside down. So, but to make a long, long story short, one of the first South Americans to come to Haiti who and found help was Miranda. He was from Ecuador. He was trying to do a revolution there to stop slavery there. And so he was invited by France. France gave him a lot of nice words and said, we're gonna help you. So he came to France and they locked him up in jail. After a while, he managed to sneak out and run away from France. The U.S. said, come, we're going to help you. Lock him up in jail. And then again, another, he runs away again, gets in a boat. The Marines are shooting at him. The boat is about to sink. And Haiti sent her boats to collect his boat, bring him to Haiti. And that's where he met with Dessaline's representative and after a month or two of taking care of those who were wounded and whatnot, we gave him two boats, weapons, money, and men to go continue the fight. What happened to all these Haitians? Went well, about 5,000 of them went with him. What happened to them? Now, the second South American um, freedom fighter to come to Haiti, that was in 1808. Uh, was uh, Bolivar. That's the one they like to talk about. Okay, They like to talk about Bolivar because on the one hand, uh, Bolivar is a sort of a mulatto, and Petion, who was president at the time in Haiti, is sort of a mulatto. So they don't mind saying that the two mulattoes got together and agreed on certain things. But saying that Dessaline, the black man, started established this as a law by the way in Dessaline's case it's not uh there is the fifth line of our budget of 1805 is money to help those fighting for freedom 
fighting for freedom is part of our budget. And you and there's other instances I was surprised to learn of when America was going through its uh, Great Depression. Again, the spirit of generosity, uh, I believe, like a millionaire. You tell me that story. That's true. That the first country to come to, to the aid of the U.S. was IT with a $1 million check. That's a, amazing. The commitment to, to helping others wherever they are. Uh-huh. The other thing they never want people to know, the original name of IT is IT, comma, Empire of Freedom. That's what our name is. So it is inscribed in our DNA, fighting for freedom. IT sent troops to help Belgium fight for freedom. IT sent um, uh, tons and tons of coffee to Greece when they were having a famine. So they sent the coffee to the government, told them, sell this and help your people. So IT's, all the good things that IT does, the narrative erases them or put them aside. And then whatever they create of havoc is what is number one news story. And you know, it's very interesting, the strong example and the courage that Haiti has shown and, and been an example for those around the world. Now we're facing new challenges. I would think that in some ways, slavery hasn't really stopped. It's been outsourced. It moves to different countries. It's called economic processing zones or whatever. It, a new guy's same story. Um, mm -hmm. And we're also facing other challenges about our environment. We've just finished up now with the COP26. And this is something where we're all going to have to be fighting for our survival. And um, in you know, certain countries are feeling the brunt even more so. And I know in IT as well. Um, we had the honor to speak with Jean Wiener recently and the Marine Biodiversity uh, pro project he has there. Uh, you know, what ways would you like to see IET, you know, leading the way on our environmental challenges? When the Euro Christian invaded IET in 1492, one of the comments many of them put in their journals, oh, this is a savage place. There are so many trees and so many plants and so many, so many animals. People can't do nothing here. That was their comment about the island. Okay. Now, if we look at the culture, the Arawak, the Taino, the Siboney, the Tupi, the 12 different ethnic groups that were living on the island, plus the group of African, Phoenician, Malians, who were already there years before the Euro-Christian invasion. All of these people practice, number one, know yourself. If we keep thinking the way they do, uh, this is an environmental problem. This is an economic problem. This is a da -da -da problem. That is another problem. We'll never get out of this. If we are to solve a real problem, a fundamental problem, everything is at the heart inside of ourselves. So if my mind is eroded, if my heart is eroded, if my soul is eroded, what would you like my land to look like? Today, there are certain behaviors that when you hear somebody declare that we need to eliminate 70% of the world's population, what kind of declaration is this? Is this a human being talking? Someone who can actually think and would like to get to work to eliminate 70% of the human beings on this population, on, on this planet. But if you understand, we are one. The planet and us, that's not two, that's one. If I have abundant, generous thoughts, the land around me will be abundant and generous. We have done this many times, gone to a piece of per, uh, land of somebody, like in one case in Gaujean. This friend bought a piece of land. I mean, everybody who goes there and says, you must be crazy. Nothing can grow here. Well, 
This is someone who has a very healthy lifestyle. And within a few, less than two years, we would go there and be, wait a minute. What happened to that sandy, dusty land that you purchased? See? Even where the foundation is, Foundation Felicité, when we move where we are, even I was afraid of it because it looks so desolate. And so within a year, people start coming and saying, wow, this is beautiful. Now, when people step into our yard, they say, I feel like I'm in paradise. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a very good, you know, but some plants we plant, other, other plants we wish for, and they come. And after the quake, I learned something important. I was hurt in the quake. I had five broken ribs and my left clavicle was in three pieces. And there was no hospitals, there was no doctors. So I sent for a healer. So he came, he went through his thing and said, yeah, here's your situation. You have all these broken bones, but that's no big deal. I said, what? Five broken bones and then no big deal? So yeah, that's nothing because all we need is some oil and uh, this particular plant. I said, well, I don't have that in my yard. He says, miss, anytime somebody's gonna have an accident, that plant grows in your yard. The man went out in the yard and said, here, you see on your mango tree, that little line, that's the plant. You see on your coconut tree, that's it. You see there on your palm tree, that's it. It's been there at least two weeks to a month because it knew you were gonna need it. Sure enough, that's all that was done. This man did his thing with the plant and the oil. My life was normal within two weeks. I, in fact, we went to, we had a party to pick up the spirit of joy. And I was the queen dancer in that party. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. And it wasn't until May where I got to a hospital, when I came to the U.S., went to a hospital, I don't know, M MRI, RIM, whatever it was. And then when I'm, com when I'm coming out of this thing, the guy said, Miss, don't move too, eh? because yeah, they're starting to heal, but blah, blah, blah. I said, listen, for everything I've done since then, if something was gonna go wrong, it's already gone wrong. So ultimately, these people even want to do surgery because the clavicle here, there is one that is one millimeter, it's healing very nicely, but one millimeter higher than the rest. So we're gonna break it and fix it, and that's okay. I don't need you to break nothing for me. That's it. it doesn't bother me, why should I bother it? But all of this to say, if we change our mental, the way we view our world, if we go within and build ourselves, everything around us will flourish. Of course, with the right actions, but start the first action. You creating or have created nuclear bombs. Each country have enough to blow the planet a hundred times. Why are they worrying about climate, whatever? All it takes is one hand on the wrong button you are forever creating destruction and then you say you want to save the planet? Come on, make up your mind. What is it you want to do? So that's why it's important for us to work here, their heart and mind. If we create abundance, we create appreciation of each other. And if you don't appreciate yourself, you're not gonna appreciate me. So you can say it in your mouth, but that's it. Appreciation, respect, treat each other with honor, with respect. And that's the way we greet each other normally in Haiti. We say, Lone, which is honor, and the person responds, Respect, respect. So if we behave this way with each other, our planet will be fine. It's a, it's a powerful message. And yeah, respect is the most important thing. Like if you don't have that, you don't have anything really you know that's love actually mm -hmm. and um i think that 
it's beautiful how you were able to find those plants in your garden. And it just shows, you know, how much we, we always think that the answer can be complicated. Sometimes I hear all sorts of, and it's interesting, you know, some kind of technological solutions that are really expensive and, you know, sophisticated, but, you know, we forget, we can just reduce our consumption. We can go look back to nature and nature will tell us, in fact, if we know how to listen. You are so right. And that's how Jean-Jacques Dessalines picked the capital city for Haiti when we first created the country. He took off his boot and shoes and says he will walk bare feet on the land so the land can tell him where to put the womb of the country, which is the capital. Thank you so much for connecting um, the environment to spiritual and physical healing and also the hypocrisy of many governmental organizations' view on the environment. So in IT um, and Vodou, there is chants such as um, Anonse that I have um, had the pleasure of learning avec Mama Fofo. So how do you think that we can take the environment and spiritual practices such as this and begin to truly see the environment as not only something that is part of a governmental organization, but something that is also part of ourselves that lives with us? Well, again, Voodoo gives it all to us. Step number one. <laughs> So the first element is to call on the proper memory. If we are forever looking for what's the latest, what's the newest, what's the... You are empty. You are with no roots. So you first need to know how was it when it was all forest here? What kind of plants were here? I want to know what is natural to this part of the land. It's not decide we're going to have a, a pine tree forest here. Maybe pine trees that earth don't like pine trees. So you plant them and they die and you plant them and they die. But if you just have the right, if you go back and look for what was there. Okay. Um, there is a saying that to each people, Mother Nature to give you exactly what you need. You might see somebody living by the sea and they don't eat fish. And you say, well, they're stupid. Fish is good, you should eat fish. No, I don't have to eat fish. My grandparents didn't eat fish. My great-grandparents didn't eat fish and we're healthy. So what we need to bother the fish for? The Alwaks had this very strong relationship with different animals. The Tupi did not eat birds because they called the birds their cousins. But certain other ethnic groups would not eat fish. They called the fish their cousins. So nobody should eat what I deducted from all that. No one should eat everything. Each one of us has what it is we need. And generally the best thing for you is what grows under your feet. So this business of, oh, I love to eat such and such from Asia. Uh, next week I'm eating only from South America. And then you're surprised your body has different problems. You don't know where they come from, but you dab into all kinds of stuff that you don't know. When I visited in Peru uh, and I saw how the people use um, coca, the, the leaves, they use it in everything. They cook with the spaghetti, they cook it in the rice, they, you know. Of course, me knowing a lot of other stuff about coca, you know, and I'm saying, but these are, you know, the traditional folks. And I'm skeptic about eating it. And then they start telling me, of course, they look at me, they'll see who I am, and they start telling me about all the things that coca heals. And, uh, you know, then I became more comfortable with it, and ultimately I ate. But the thing is, I would never make it. Then when I went back home, 
I try to figure out, do we have it natural to IT? We don't. So I would never make it my regular diet. I have no problem eating it wherever people eat it all the time. But I would not make it part of my regular diet. See, so we have to respect that too, that is part of respecting the land. If the land produces something for you, obviously that's what you need. And we have observed all of us Haitians who go abroad, we are less healthy abroad than where we were at home. And now that they are forcing importation of their foods into the country, now we are in bad shape at home as well. Yeah, I think that it goes back to the importance of home and tradition and, you know, home travels with you too, and it's in your blood. And I'm also wondering about, we were talking about education and talking, you were talking about imposing other um, foods from other cultures. And I'm thinking now, of course, about imposed languages and your thoughts. That's a murder. That's a big murder. It kills so much of who we are. When we have, uh, you know, don't take me wrong. Speaking, the average African before colonization spoke between 10 to 25 languages. Language is a tool. If you decide you want to, I like Mia, Mia speak this language, I want to speak to her, I learn her language. It's a totally different thing. Mia wants to be my friend, so she learns my language. No problem. But when Mia comes in and say, Baina, I forbid you to speak your language. In fact, your language is not a language, it's a patois. Your language is not a language, it's pigeon. Your language, whatever it is. So you denigrate my language and then impose your language. That is murder. It's it's so true. And, and then when you teach another language that's not in, in school, you have one language and then you have a language at home. Um, it's so important to keep in touch with it, but then you feel like, uh, will I speak at home is less or is not exactly the vision. I, um, yeah. And that's how they attack you and lessen you as a human. And that's why you will feel more comfortable wearing, eating, you know, and it's all about counters. You know, if I can get into your head and convince you that only Asian foods are good, only blah, 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 blah. So here you are all the way in France, you spending all this money sending for food from IT, spending all this money in transport in this, that, and the other, makes no sense. No, uh, you're not even from IT. Why would IT's food be the best food? You know, no. Well, everywhere in the world, what we're looking for in the food is what? I say the letters. A, B, C, D, da, 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 vitamins, protein, you know, all letters we're looking for. So if I have carrots in IT and you have cherries wherever you are, both of them have great content of XYZ. And it's the XYZ that you're looking for. So it doesn't matter if you eat the cherry or eat the carrot. But if I give you this impression that only carrot will solve your problem, you know, I have you for life and I'm making nice money sending you carrots when you could have eaten all the cherries and whatever it is that you have in your place. Because all of us have everything we need, wherever you are. It's a question of identifying it. Exactly. And not feeling shame, you know, because there's a great wisdom. And I think that's what we're all opening our eyes to as well, is uh, indigenous knowledge and wisdom. The indigenous knowledge that has been safeguarding, you know, you know, from the rainforest or to different, how is it that their ecosystems are in balance and ours are not? So we must be doing something wrong. I'm not speaking for AT, I'm speaking for the Western countries that I've lived in. And 
I feel it for us to feel shame and it's almost like it's the opposite side of we've been looking through the wrong end of the telescope. So in closing, you know, as you think about the future, you know, these systems uh, that we need change, whether it's education or climate change, uh, your work at uh, Fondation Felicité, um, what life lessons have been important to you? You know, what things did, what teachers have been important to you and what would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? My teachers are many, but from all of them, the same fundamental life lesson, know yourself. Makes no difference if you want to do math, astronomy, uh, blah, 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 sing, dance, or sit by the roadside and beg. Know yourself. I have sat on the side of the road with a lot of beggars. And 1991, I used to do this a lot. And I've come across some very intelligent people, astute people high psychologist the beggar doesn't ask any old person that comes by no the beggar studies you as you come in and he says all right here is the one who's going to give me what i need and the beggar approaches you and gets generally what they need okay uh there are beggars who own homes <laughs> and the people who's giving them don't have, don't own, they, you know, they're renting. So, but the difference is, this is somebody who knows themselves. They don't feel diminished because they're begging. No, they feel very determined that they have chosen their way. I don't want to work. I want to sit here and pick the right person, set my goals in the morning, and know that at the end of the day, I will have in my hand what I want. I learned a lot from them. So I've learned not to look down anybody. And I've discovered the more you respect others, the more love you'll have for yourself. If you don't love self, you cannot love anything. If you don't know self, you cannot love self. You love a lot of things. Oh no, I do my hair every week. I can't, da, 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 da. I have to do my nails. That's not you. That's your nails. <laughs> Talk to me about you. And once we're into the you, the real self, we fear no one. We envy no one. No desire to steal what doesn't belong to us because we know who we are and we know we are complete. And we know that we are one with the entire cosmos. We know that we are forever. The body is an outfit. I will drop it at a certain moment, but Baina will live forever. That is truly beautiful, the know thyself, uh, you know, different traditions say it from the Stoics to elsewhere, but you make me see it in a, a new way. And I feel that's true. We, we don't have to have so much once we know that essential core. And I think about us, our modern obsessions with, uh, you know, accumulating things. And there's a story of the man who climbs up the mountain, he, he wants more and more, climbs up the mountain of shit, I should say. He climbing, 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 because he wants this thing at the top and by the, to pick a rose, but the to smell it. But by the time he gets there, he has lost his sense of smell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we sometimes we ha don't have to ha accumulate all these things if we, if we lose that, our sense of smell or being knowing who we are 
you are really a, a library of knowledge as, and you really help us know ourselves. So thank you, Professor Bayana Bello and the Fondation Felicite for your dedication to inspiring, informing, and sharing Haiti's history to help Haitians grow, develop self-confidence, and better understand their past experiences. We all live on one planet. Thank you for adding your voice to One Planet Podcast and the creative process. Thank you for inviting me. And may you grow deeper and higher into your, each one of us here, we, may we continue to grow deeper and higher into our own self-knowledge. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews producer on this podcast was Yesenia Olmos. Digital Media Coordinator is Phoebe Browse. Music was provided by Jean Amedi Caz. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.